Good morning. Three people are awake this morning. I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 13. Now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, Do business until I come. I'm always delighted to be able to come and be with you. I appreciate your presence, each of you, especially if you're visiting with us. We are honored for you to be here. This morning, our sermon is entitled, How to Gain a Few Pounds. Now normally, we're looking to lose a few pounds, or at least I am. But what we want to do this morning is look at this idea of gaining a few pounds, and look at it in... uh, the way in which God has wanted us to understand it. We don't want to be like the original listeners. We don't want to look for for strictly a physical understanding of what was going on. We want to be able to look into the words of Christ and we want want to understand in a spiritual sense how to gain a few pounds. We'll work on losing a few pounds physically as we continue in this life if we need to. Now the parable of the pounds was preceded by the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. Where the publican and the Pharisee went into the temple and the Pharisee lifted up his eyes toward heaven and he said, God, thank you so much that I'm not like this publican. And then he went on to extol himself about how wonderful he was and what a great humanitarian he was and just in general what a wonderful person and neighbor he was. And then of course that publican not even lifting up his eyes to heaven, being ashamed of the state in which he found himself and his relationship with God and he smote upon his chest and he said, God forgive me a sinner. And then of course Christ went to explain exactly what he meant by that. He talked about who was greater. Was it the Pharisee or the, or the publican? And of course it was the publican. And now that news must have spread. I'm sure it spread among the publicans as Christ was journeying on to Jerusalem. And of course Zacchaeus lived in Jericho. And living in Jericho and likely being one of the first to hear about what Christ had said about that sorry low class of people, the publican, and how he showed compassion toward those people. He must have heard about that. may have been one of the first. And he was determined as the Master came through to get at least a glimpse of this great man, this miracle worker, this person who showed compassion on those that society in general did not. Now, We get to the occasion of the parable. Christ in Jericho, the conversion of the chief publican Zacchaeus, the message of salvation and life that Christ came to seek and to save those who were lost. With that in mind, 
we are given the reason for the parable. Because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. Luke 19.11 You see, the purpose was to correct this notion that when Christ went into Jerusalem, that He was going in there to take by force, if necessary, the kingdom. That it would manifest itself immediately in a physical sense. Now the disciples had entertained those high hopes, hadn't they? That Christ would come, He would visit the city, He would redeem Israel, He would unfurl His standard, He would deliver the chosen people from servitude of a foreign nation, and He would usher in the kingdom of David in all of its former glory. Now that's quite a thought, isn't it? That's quite something to look forward to if you have been a people under oppression of foreign nations for the vast majority of your history and not quite understanding the prophecies that pointed toward the Christ and then Jesus coming in and people understanding that He was from God. He did all those marvelous works and now they thought, here it is, the kingdom that we have so been looking forward to and they missed it. They didn't quite understand. They missed the moral necessity of the cross. They missed the acts that would happen to Christ. It hadn't gripped their minds. They didn't understand that He needed to live and die and be resurrected and return back to heaven if His eternal purpose would be fulfilled. Ephesians 3 verse 11. They didn't quite understand that. They could not see that that death, that burial, and that resurrection was necessary for the kingdom to be ushered into time. And that that same kingdom would offer to the faithful a city built by the hands of God and not the hands of men. Hebrews 11 verse 10. An eternity of blissfulness surrounding the very throne of God and singing praises to His name. They didn't get that. But those exciting events which surrounded Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem, the miracles, the crowds, all of those things stimulated this idea of an earthly king. And that's what they so wanted. And this message, this very message in Luke 19, beginning with verse 11, was given to correct that misunderstanding of what the kingdom was. Within this parable, as we look at it and we make application to Christ's life, He talked about His approaching departure from the earth. He talked about the events that would take place that would cause that to happen. He talked about the necessity of faithfulness of those who would follow Him and their reward when He returned. But they had to look into that parable. They had to listen to His words. They had to have a desire to know and they had to be able to look in there and see the secret message. Not that it was secret that not everyone could have it, but that the parable was spoken because those who did want it would understand and those who didn't would simply dismiss it. They had to have that effort to look in and see these wonderful things. Now this parable, the parable of the ten pounds, is often confused with the parable of the talents. 
This isn't a parable spoken by Matthew and sometime later Luke regurgitated it and added something to it and expanded it and made some kind of contradictory statement. That's not what this is. These are two very distinct parables. And they have very distinct messages. Both will teach that the Lord bestows privileges on His servants. He demands faithfulness at His return. Both deal with privileges, but in different aspects. The talents present the bestowal of unequal gifts. Some people have more or different talents than others. If we want to look at it in the immediate context, some have more funds than others with which to work. In the spiritual context, some of us have different talents than others. In fact, we all have different talents. When we look at the pounds, we see that they have been given the common gift. Now we look at the common gift and we see different areas or different abilities of diligence in producing something. In the talents we see that they're given unequal gifts, but the reward in the end is the same. The reward in the end for the pounds, you still have glory. But the effort can change from one person to the other depending on what they are able to do. And we see all of that in this wonderful parable. These two parables exhibit differences in the number of gifts received. But again, we're going to notice the diligence invested in the work of Occupy. As we look at this and we we learn how to gain a few pounds, I want us to notice first, and this is our first point, if you're taking notes, there was an assignment given. There was an assignment. In fact, within this parable, there was a man. He was a nobleman. He was a man of authority. He was a man of means. And this man in the parable represents our Christ. He represents Jesus. Remember, the parable was spoken to help mold the idea of what the kingdom was. That it was spiritual in nature. Again, they thought that Jesus would just roll right into Jerusalem, take the very crown of David and sit on the very throne of David and all would be good physically in this world. I want us to notice something though. As with any illustration in any parable, the reason the parable are truths Well, first of all, it's spoken by God. But secondly, anything in a parable could have happened or it did happen. The sower, the parable of the sower, I can see in the background as Jesus is speaking that wonderful parable, some man sowing with a bag attached to him, throwing out seed. That happened. That was a part of life at that time. That was an illustration. Now we're looking at this parable, and this parable has a very strong resemblance to the events surrounding Archelaus, the son of Herod the Great. Those listening would have been very familiar with those events, and Jesus would use some of the common language that happened in the events of Archelaus. After the death of his father, Herod the Great, the kingdom was split up into different regions, and Archelaus went to Rome to receive his kingdom, just like we read in the parable. 
He went, he wanted to receive his kingdom. And like those in the parable, the Jews sent messages to Caesar during the time of Archelaus. And they said they would not have that man to reign over them. They hated and despised Archelaus, and for good reason. But that's what happened. Those listening would hear those words and they would be reminded of their history. Like the people in the parable, the Jews, they were rejecting Jesus, the son of Herod. They didn't want Archelaus. They didn't want Christ. Do you remember the things that were said? We remember the people shouting in John 19, 5, We have no king but Caesar. They stood before Pilate and they rejected this man. We won't have him reigning over us. We don't want him. As Jesus worked to save the Jews and He was trying to bring to their remembrance their history so He could use that to help convince them to be faithful. He goes from the man... To the mission. There's a mission given as we look at the assignment. Now this pound represents the gospel. That's not what the talents represented. This pound represents the gospel of Jesus Christ which is a common possession. It is something that is offered to all people. When we look at the parable of the pounds, each person, all ten servants received one pound. When we look at the parable of the talents, you have a a servant receiving five talents and then two talents and then one talent. These people received the common possession. It was given equally. And they were all to occupy while the master was gone. Jude understood that concept, didn't he? Remember what he wrote in Jude 3? He said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. The common salvation is a product of the common gospel. The gift given to us by Christ. According to Strong, to occupy means to busy oneself with. That is to trade. They were given this pound. They were to get out there. They were to get to work and they were to busy themselves with trading in and working with that pound. This common possession Pounds were not given to be hoarded up. They were given to uh, be used and to be multiplied. That was the whole point. The gospel is to be used in the same way. The idea of the message was not to build money. It was to build character on which the, the, the fruit of the Spirit could be produced. Galatians 5.22 But as we learn from the parable, one thing that ought to stick out to us It ought to really be a red flag is we must pay attention to the length of time they were to occupy. They weren't given a particular time frame, were they? The servants were commanded by the Master to busy themselves the entire time He was gone. Whether that time was short or whether it was long, it did not matter. That was not the focus The focus was diligent effort, remaining, being steadfast, moving forward, working and trading in that common possession. Those like the servants in this parable, those who received the common gift 
of the gospel, the common gift of salvation, we have no idea when the Lord will return. Matthew 24, 36, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not even the angels in heaven, right? But my Father. And then, as Christ is our example of how we occupy, He made a statement, John 9, verse 4, He said, I must work the works of Him who sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. We are given a period of time to occupy. Now that's not an eternal period of time. That is a certain time frame. And only God the Father understands when that time is going to come to an end. So we have to occupy and be diligent. It might end as we speak. It may not end for another 6,000 years. I don't know, but we are to occupy as long as we're here. Just as Christ would be treated, the parable in the parable the people said, we don't want this man. He's not going to rule over us. And again, those people, their minds would go back to Archelaus. They would understand the consequences of that statement. Jesus wanted them to remember what happened when you reject the king. Now he's not endorsing Archelaus. He is simply talking about a historical fact that they would remember. When we look at history, we see that Archelaus went to seek his crown. The Jews, uh, as he did, he left behind the interests of his kingdom. He left money with them, funds with them to work so they could multiply it and make money. However, while he was gone, as he was on that trip to Rome, the Jews dispatched 50 Jews, sent them to Caesar, told Caesar, we don't want Archelaus. We don't want him to rule over us. Archelaus was an evil, vicious man. And they protested his kingship. And in part, it was successful. Unlike his father, Herod the Great, Archelaus was not entitled king of Judea. He instead was given the title of Tetrarch. He ruled over Judea, but he was not given the kingship. The result of not having this man to reign over us was not what the people wanted. According to the Jewish historian, Josephus, on the first Passover, following Christ's ascension back into heaven, Archelaus massacred 3,000 of those who opposed him. That's what happens when you reject the king. Now again, Jesus wasn't defending Archelaus at in some kind of a way, He was wanting them to understand when you oppose the King, when you will not allow Him to reign over you, destruction follows. Do you recall toward the end of the time of the judges and Samuel was the last judge and the people wanted a king like the nations around them and it broke Samuel's heart and he couldn't understand that? And God went to Samuel and He said, The people aren't rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me as their king. Israel had a king. They rejected him. What happens when you reject the king? Destruction follows. Look at Israel's history. Nothing but one tragedy right after the other. Short periods of time in their history where things were going well, but for the most part, destruction. And that's why Jesus specifically made that statement. They would remember that. But at His crucifixion, we remember what the people said. What the chief priest told Pilate, 
John 19, 21, he said, Don't write on there, King of the Jews. Don't do that. But that he said, I am King of the Jews. Why? They rejected the man and the mission. And they hadn't changed. They hadn't changed. They would not change. You recall in Acts 7, 51 through 53, when when Stephen was reciting the history in this wonderful sermon that he preached, he said, You're stiff-necked people. Tell me one of the prophets you didn't murder. Tell me one you didn't reject. When have you ever wanted God to be your king? And he was murdered for standing strong for the faith and occupying while he was gone. See, that's the assignment. Jesus sets the background. He brings up some history. He talks about the assignment, the man and the mission. And this is our second point. He goes on to the accomplishment. The accomplishment. The master returned and he made a reckoning of all his servants. There was an audit. He was going to determine who had occupied and who had not occupied. And we have to understand one thing. Whether we accept the task or not, we are still responsible for the common gift. It's been given to all of us. The common gift is there. Whether we accept it or not, we're still responsible for it. Ten servants were given one pound each. As we look at the parable we have recorded for us, that at least two were faithful. The first one comes to the master, and he had gained ten additional pounds with his pound. Now remember what he said. He said he blessed him. He gave him some cities over which he could rule, right? He rewarded him for his diligence, for occupying. He attributed the success not to himself. He didn't bring that additional 10 pounds and said, boy, look at all the hard work I've done. He said, I gained 10 pounds because of your money. Because of you. And now we've been blessed with additional pounds. He gained a few pounds, didn't he? Paul mentioned that. He recognized God as the source of his successes. Notice 1 Corinthians 3 verse 6. Paul honored God and he said, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. We have to recognize that. The second servant presented himself to the master and he had gained five additional pounds. Now here's what we see, I believe, in the second servant. We're not responsible beyond what we can do. He was given the common gift, one pound, He went out and he occupied, he traded with, he worked with this common gift and he produced five more pounds. And the Lord blessed him. The master said, you're going to have some cities over which to rule also. God does not expect anything from us that we cannot provide. Paul wrote this. He said, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 12, For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to the two that a man has and not according to what he has not. We're not required to give what we do not have. Whether that's financially, whether that's time, whether that's ability, whatever the case may be, but we have a common gift. We've been blessed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been blessed with the avenue to salvation and we better work in it. We better produce something. We are required 
to give all diligence. Notice what Peter said, 2 Peter 1 verse 10. He said, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. We better be working. So in this parable, Jesus is trying to bring the people to Him. He's reminding them of their history. He gives them uh, an assignment. We see the man in the mission. He looks at the accomplishment. We have an audit. Then we go to a different servant. This different servant did something else. And he gives an answer of why that happened. Out of the ten servants, there was at least one servant who was a wicked servant. One who was lazy. One who did not busy himself. In fact, he didn't do anything with his pound. He didn't even dig a hole and bury it as was common for the time to safeguard it. He simply wrapped it in a napkin, put it up on the shelf, and he came back and he said, here's your talent, or here's your pound back. He had done nothing. Why though? He said, I know you're an austere man. That was his answer. You're an austere man. Well, what does that mean? Unreasonable. Harsh. Because you're unreasonable. You expect something that I cannot provide because you are harsh. Here's your pound back. I couldn't please you, so I didn't even try. Was that the truth? The blame game has been going on ever since... The Garden of Eden. We look in Genesis 3 and we see Adam giving an answer for his actions. Who told you you were naked? What have you done? Did you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? I ate from that tree, Lord, but it's the woman that you gave me. You're to blame. You're an austere man. You're unreasonable. You expect something from me I cannot give. We know that's not the truth because of the second servant. He had the same common gift and he only brought back five additional pounds. The master was not austere. He was compassionate. We see his liberality in the blessings that he gave. The servant lied. The Lord spoke of an assignment. He reviewed the accomplishments of the servants. And then Christ, in His parable, rendered His announcement. The one servant, the lazy servant, the wicked servant, the one who wrapped his pound up in a napkin and set it up on the shelf, he was rebuked, wasn't he? For his dishonesty and his wickedness. The Lord showed the servant's statement to be dishonest. The Lord wasn't unreasonable, but He blamed him. Sinful servant didn't even take his pound to the bank and deposit it with the money changer so it might draw some interest. He simply didn't do anything with it. He just put it on the shelf and, and he didn't even look at it. How many people in the world who claim to be believers in God, have a Bible in their home and it hasn't even been opened. They didn't even look at the common gift given to them. There are going to be a lot of people lose their souls because of that. 
This servant was lukewarm. He was lazy. He neglected his opportunities. Now notice what the writer of Hebrews said. Hebrews 2 verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him? If we neglect it, we cannot escape. Now I want us to notice something else. This servant did not do anything that caused harm. He didn't harm anyone. He didn't go out and and steal other pounds. He didn't try to kill the master to keep him from knowing anything. He simply did nothing. We cannot get to heaven because of the sins we do not commit. We get to heaven because we occupy. We work with the gospel. We obey the gospel. We understand what it means to become a child of God. When we read the Scripture, and there's one thing that we all understand, if we're going to receive these blessings, we have to be in Christ. He is the one. Ephesians 1 verse 3. We have to be in Him. There's only one way to get into Christ, and that's the obedience to the Gospel. Now how do we know that? Never take anyone's word for that. Paul said, in Galatians 3, 26 and 27, for all the children of God by faith. Who's he talking to? The churches in Galatia. Christians. For as many of us as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We have to get into Christ through baptism. Not baptism alone. That stands for the plan of salvation. Faith, repentance, confession that I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Immersion in water. Coming up out of that water. Walking in a new life. Occupying my pound, my common gift until Christ comes back. That's what He expects. And that's what we better do. Why or to who was the rebuke aimed? The rebuke in the parable was aimed to the lazy servant, the one who ignored, the one who didn't want to occupy, but it was aimed at a rebellious people. The Jews. Christ loving them wanted them to come back to God, wanted them to accept Him. Their attitude was, this man is not our king and we won't have him. We don't want him reigning over us. Now history tells us of the unrighteous punishment that Archelaus brought back from Rome with him, massacring 3,000 people because they rejected him. Again, we're not defending Archelaus, we're using it as an example of what happens when you reject the king. But when the Lord returns, like the nobleman, He'll deliver a righteous punishment. He's coming and He will destroy the wicked. It doesn't have to be that way. We can read in John 14 verses 1 through 3, He said, I'm going away and prepare a place. In my Father's house, He said, are many mansions, plenty of room for all, if you will accept Me as your King. And if I go, he said, I'll come again and I'm going to gather my people. I'm going to take them back with me and there. His people will live eternally. It won't be like those who are being punished. But there's another side to that. There is the, the mercy and the grace and the severity of God. God is a just God and He is severe when He needs to be. But He's just and righteous in doing that. Paul said, 2 Thessalonians 1, beginning with verse 7, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord shall 
be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power? Jesus used history to grab the attention of those standing around Him. He wanted them to understand as tragic as it was for those innocent people rightly rejecting Archelaus, being massacred and murdered, 3,000 of them. The destruction that comes from rejecting Him as King by not occupying the common salvation, by not working in it, by saying we don't want this man to reign over us, will cause the 3,000 to pale in comparison. That's the message. Occupy till I come. We've been given an assignment. The Lord expects a correct accomplishment. And then, on that day, as we stand before the bar of judgment, He will announce those who will go to the left and those who will go to the right. Those who occupy, those who take care of their pounds, will be ushered into heaven. And just like in the parable of the talents, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Come to God today in obedience to the gospel. Hear His voice, repent of past sins, confess that Jesus is His Son, that He lived, He died, He rose again, He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, ruling over His kingdom at this moment. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins and live a righteous life occupying the common gift that we've been given. Do that today. If you've never done that, ask God to forgive you and repent of your sin in whatever way necessary. If it's a public sin, do that publicly. If it's a private one, go to your God alone with you and Him, and He'll forgive you. Either way, if you have need to answer this invitation, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.